Welcome to the Wednesday interview from the Sustainable Futures Report. I'm Anthony Day and it's Wednesday the 22nd of December. Merry Christmas, very nearly. Minster, one of the great cathedrals of Northern Europe. The present Minster building has been on this site for over 800 years and therefore could be seen as a perfect example of sustainability. Its continued existence is due to the care of generations of artisans and craftsmen across the centuries and the work continues today. Leading the team is Alex McCallion. Director of Works and Precinct. York Minster um, sits within a precinct of seven hectares, so we're responsible for um, an incredibly complex part of the city centre, which is why we have created um, a master plan for how we care for it over the next 15 years. Um, and we're bringing that forward as a neighbourhood plan. So ultimately, it will become part of a development plan for the city. So within that seven hectare estate, we have 53 properties, all but one are listed. Most are grade two star listed. Three of our properties are grade one listed. One of those, the Minster itself, is a scheduled monument. And the whole of the estate is scheduled with significant archaeology below it. So um, an important part of the plan or the driver behind it is sustainability. And when I talk about sustainability, I mean um, financial sustainability. So we've always got the money to look after the Minster and the estate. Environmental sustainability, which I know we're going to touch on in some detail. And then heritage craft skills as well, so that we've always got the skilled team here to look after this very complex area. So at the heart of this is the Minster itself, the iconic building which has stood for how long? Um, well, the minster you see before you is over 800 years old, but of course the site's got a history dating back over 2,000 years. So if we go down into the Undercroft, you can see the Roman Basilica down there and the, the Norman Cathedral, and then the minster as we see today you know, evolved over 250 years. So the, the, the big conservation and restoration project that we're working on at the moment that you can see out of my office window, covered in scaffolding, um, it was um, completed in the late 14th century, so um, it's one of the later parts of, of the Minster. And there have been other challenges during its history. There have been, a lot of people may remember the fire in the 1980s, but there have been other fires in the past, haven't there? There have, yes. So 1984, the big fire in the um, South Transept. Um, there was the fire of the 1830s, I've forgotten the exact date, but in the, um, in the choir. Um, and then, of course, there was the fire in the in the nave as well. So we do have a history of fires here, but your listeners will be pleased to know we have a state-of-the-art fire system in our roof and significant fire compartments up there, which stop um, which stop the spread of a fire. Um, and it was interesting when I was watching those awful images of Notre Dame burning, and you could see the flames licking through the roof. They didn't have that same system mm. and compartmentation, so. They have been in touch with us for <laughs> some advice there. Yeah. 
And the other major challenge in relatively recent history, of course, has been the stability of the central tower. Yes, um, and of course that, um, one of the big outcomes from that was the uh, establishment of York Minster Fund, who are um, an enormous benefactor to um, York Minster and all of our conservation and restoration projects at the moment. But that dates back to the late 1960s when huge cracks appeared um, around the central tower. Um, and for many years, people had said that the inner ring road that um, literally ran past the, the uh, Minster was causing issues with the foundations through uh, vibrations of large trucks, which of course is exactly what happened. And couple that with the perch water table that the Minster sits on. So um, we have um, our, our water table uh, moves quite um, significantly over the course of the year, which still cause movement. Um, causes movement in the cathedral now, um, led to almost the collapse of um, the central tower. So it literally was a race against time to stabilise it. And Arabs led on that project um, and essentially pumped huge amounts of concrete into the base to, to stabilise it. And you can see all of those new foundations now when you go down into the undercroft. So it's an incredible subterranean structure down there. As you said, the, the precinct contains, what was it, 57 properties? 53. 53. Yeah. And all of those will have their challenges. They do, they do. So, um, varying challenges. Um, one of the big ones is the extent of the backlog maintenance. So some of the properties haven't had um, money invested in them for decades. Um, a lot of them need re-roofing, proper insulation. We've got single pane windows that are rotting. Um, so we are through our estate strategy and as part of the neighbourhood plan we're working through that backlog maintenance to um, invest in our buildings and bring them, um, bring them up to uh, modern standards. Uh, insulation and double glazing of course is something that you, you can do in these peripheral buildings but you certainly can't dry line the walls of the Minster because apart from anything else, it's covered in plaques and memorials, and yeah. you certainly can't, or can you, double glaze the, uh, the windows. Well, um, you probably be aware that the Minster um, is um, the repository for the largest in-situ collection of medieval stained glass windows in England. So mm. we have this wonderful collection of national treasures. 68 of those windows are still exposed to the elements. So we have uh, stone erosion, but then we've also got this tragic erosion of the, these beautiful works of art. So in a partnership with York Minster, uh, not York Minster, York Glaziers Trust, mm -hmm. well, and with the generous support of York Minster Fund, who are paying for a lot of this, um, we're putting in external glazing onto these windows. So it, it is effectively a, a form of um, double glazing. And Sarah Brown, um, our, uh, the director of York Glazes Trust, would hate me for saying that because it's much, much bigger than that. It, it's protecting those treasures for future generations to, to come and, and, and look at them again. But, but it, it is providing an element of, of um, thermal insulation within the cathedral. And also we're looking at um, new vestibules within our main entrances, again, to stabilise that thermal or increase the thermal efficiency of the building. Because at the moment, as you'll know from our west front, when the doors are open, the draft is incredible. And also that fluctuation in temperature inside affects the tuning of the organ. 
So, um, but to heat that building is a is an absolute nightmare. The, the heat. I mean, we're using a, a late Victorian heating system, effectively of pipes, and the hot air just rises and dissipates through the uninsulated roof. Yes. Well, that's going to be a continuing challenge, I think, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, is there any scope for insulating the roof? Um, limited, um, but we can look at, at more efficient ways of heating the building. Um, and in 2018, we replaced our eight gas guzzling boilers um, and replaced those with six super efficient gas boilers, um, which have the lowest emissions of nitrogen oxide on the market. We were the first institution to, to use those. Mm -hmm. So, and I think, I hope that those are going to be the last gas boilers we install in the Minster. So um, I'm cooking up a plan for um, ground a ground source heat pump. And the, I don't know if you're aware that under Dean's Park is an enormous water tank that was installed by Chapter in 1942, so that we always had our um, own supply of water were the cathedral to ever be bombed. Thankfully, we never needed that. But what we've got now is a huge battery under Dean's Park. So it's 250,000 cubic metres of water. That if we can um, keep that water at a constant temperature, say 10 to 12 degrees, heated by solar power, there's your ground source heat pump, which then has the potential to, to provide the heating for most of the precinct and the cathedral. Now, that's a massive engineering project, and it's a little harebrained idea I've got at the moment, but I, I do think it's got legs, and we're taking some engineering advice to see if we can make that work, um, because you'd never get um, scheduled volume and consent to dig a hole that size in the basic <laughs> now. So, um, I but I think when, you, when you're responsible for looking after a heritage estate like this, you, you do need to think outside the box. Um, and I think unless we drive that agenda and have these com conversations with the heritage bodies and the decision makers, it's going to be impossible to get this to net zero by 2030. And that's the ambition of the Church of England. Now, we'll never get this estate to net zero. It's impossible. I mean, um, we're, we're dealing with a, the largest Gothic cathedral in northern England, in northern Europe. But we can certainly get to a low carbon estate. And um, I don't know if you um, are aware that last week we got planning permission for our refectory. Yeah, I saw it in the paper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, a, and part of that planning um, consent is a solar tiles on the roof. So the first of their kind on a, on a heritage asset like that in the, in the context of a much wider heritage estate. And that will reduce the carbon footprint of that building by about 15%. Mm -hmm. So it's not huge, but it's a move in the right direction. Um, and we've, I've always said morally, we, we have to be leading on that agenda. So that, that's a big, big shift. Yes, yes. I notice on the website that you're going for the Eco Gold Church Award. Well, I think you probably ought to have platinum if you achieve all the things <laughs> you've been talking about. Yeah. Yes, we... Are, to get eco gold on the cathedral, I need to put solar panels on the on the cathedral roof. On the cathedral itself. On the cathedral itself. So now that sounds horrific, but it won't be. Right. So the way technology has advanced in the past five years means that we won't be putting the panels on the Gloucester of Got, which are the big clunky panels. Mm -hmm. But these are much slimmer 
panels now that will sit within the grooves of the lead roof. Yeah. Now this isn't a medieval lead roof. It, the roof dates from it's a Victorian lead roof after the fire, uh-huh. and when the view you've got that we're looking at together now, you'll get glimpses of the panels through the parapet, but only glimpses, and from the ground you won't see them. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that has the. Um, possibility of creating a huge amount of energy for the cathedral when we have the biggest demand on on the grid which is during the day when all the I mean the minster has always got lights on even in the middle of summer which drives me mad but um, but then the surplus energy can go to heat this water tank I was telling you about yes 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 as far as heating the building is concerned I imagine that you're objective is to stabilize it rather than to achieve any great temperature yes what's what's your target temperature and we try and keep it at about 15 degrees in the winter yeah um which is which is a nightmare i mean it drops as low as nine nine degrees sometimes Mm. so when we've got large um services on and the west doors are open and the south doors are open and you've got the wind coming through it's impossible and what always makes me laugh is people complain about how cold it is in the cathedral. But I mean, it, it, it is a medieval, um, uh, huge building. Um, so um, it's never going to be shirts in the middle of winter in there. So people do need to dress appropriately. But keeping it at a, at a constant is as best we can hope for. And I'm sure when it was originally built, there was no heating in at all. No, no, that's a a Victorian addition. So, um, and it and it is incredibly inefficient because hot air rises. Yes, yes. Well, could we take a walk across and look at some of the specific challenges? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Well, we're making our way up the staircase on the scaffolding up the outside of the Minster. And uh, there's a lot of it. Go up to um, the, the, onto the fourth lift, we can look at some of the stone renewal and some of the issues that we're, we're dealing with. Okay, so, okay. Um, so we're, we're looking here at two different types of stone. We are, yes. So we're looking at, uh, we're standing on the on level six of the South Choir uh, scaffolding. And um, we're currently looking at the western buttress of the South Choir transept, which houses the Cuthbert window. So it's the huge window you see inside the cathedral and from outside if, you're, if you've got the Minster School behind you. So the whole of the Minster was originally made of magnesium limestone which comes from a seam in, in Tadcaster, and it's where we get our um, stone supply from now. It's a beautiful stone. The Victorians um, couldn't get um, this, that limestone for whatever reason, and they used Ketton. It's still a, a limestone, but geologically it's much younger than uh, the magnesium limestone. And you can see all of the oolites in it. It's a much tougher, rougher stone, where the uh, magnesium limestone is much softer and cleaner. Um, And and what the Victorians didn't know is that magnesium limestone and ketter react. 
So as the water um, runs behind, um, you get this reaction that causes this rapid cavernous decay of the ketan. So this piece of stone, to you and I, looks in really good condition. Yeah. But I, I'm just now pointing at a, at a big cavernous uh, hole in that. So you know, next next year you could see something similar happening here. So yeah. we're yeah. in the process, and we've got the permission from the Cathedral's Fabric Commission for England to remove all of the ketan and right. replace it with magnesium limestone. Right. So um, and the original magnesium limestone from the yeah. 14th century yeah. that will stay where it is I mean the surface looks pretty uh, warm we work yeah, closely with the surveyor of the fabric and the master mason to decide what stone stays on the building so if we think it's going to have at least a hundred years life left in it it stays but anything that uh, needs to come off will be removed so we've got all of the consents from the um, from CFCE the Cathedral's Fabric Commission for England to do that so this will all be dismantled and then rebuilt using new stone so um, we have a hundred year scaffold cycle at the Minster so we don't expect to be back at this part of the building until at least a hundred years Right, but how many years will this scaffolding, scaffolding be at this point? Um, at least another six years. So this is a five-year project in its own right. I see. Um, I see. But we always leave a bit of a buffer in there. Yeah. So you, you'll you'll see this scaffolding up here probably until the end of this decade, and right. then we'll move it round to the north uh, choir aisle to mm -hmm. do exactly the same mm -hmm. again, and then after that um, we'll be moving to the central tower. To do the restoration there. Right. So, so it's a constant process. It's a constant process. So we won't even have got to the nave. Right. So um, yes, it'll certainly see all of us out in terms of workload. Right. We moved across and I looked at the top of the buttress. Yes, I'm privileged to be looking closely at the top of one of the buttresses and looking at the details of well, I don't know whether these are gargoyles, but figures pointing out from the corners of the column. Not many people get as close as this. Um, yes, the, these, um, these are grotesques, so they're uh, decorative. We don't have any working gargoyles at the Minster. There are some on the chapter house, but they don't work anymore. Maybe lovely one day to get them spitting the water back out <laughs> into Dean's Park. But, but yes, yeah, so these um, grotesques tell the story of King Solomon. So there's the baby, there's King Solomon himself. Um, and what's rather interesting here is this um, uh, pinnacle, which sits on top of the buttress. So it's de decorative only, but adding weight to the buttress. Um, this was finished in 2018, and you can already see that nature's starting to take its toll. So we've got moss starting to build, and uh, I always think that's fascinating. Yeah, yes, yes. It doesn't take long. Uh, um, but but the, but the old medieval philosophy was that, that it was all done for the glory of God. So humans won't be able to see it from ground level, but God can always see it. I see. Um, I see. Which is why you have this beautiful detail. Did I say no double glazing? No protective glazing on the outside of the stained glass windows. Yes. Yeah. So in, and um, you can see the the echo of the principal um, lead. Of, of the of the medieval stained glass behind it, so you get um, the clarity of the glass when you're looking from the inside because the, the light is is coming through unrestricted. Okay. But those will now be protected for you know, at least 150 years. So 
And did you say how many windows you actually have in this building? Um, I didn't. Um, I, I should know that, but we have 68 unprotected windows. Yes. So we've still got an awful lot of work ahead of us. And it's not just the glass, of course, it's the stone as well. The, the stone that's holding this glass is in a pretty bad state on some of the windows. I see, I see. I mean, it can be quite overwhelming at times when you think about just how much there is to do. And of course, unlike the European cathedrals, the care of York Minster is entirely um, down to the chapter of York, the governing body of York Minster, and we're entirely self-financed. So is it the state that covers the European cathedrals? Yes, yeah. yes. So we get no central, central Church of England funding or government funding. So it's all from our own investments and fundraising and paying visitors, York Minster Fund, uh, who we couldn't do without. So it costs £22,000 a day to operate and care for this place. Yeah. So it's a lot of money. <laughs> we moved into the Minster itself where the organist was practising for Christmas. We made our way into the undercroft, where the organ was still very loud. of this was brought over by the Romans so um, so a lot of that again is recycled from the, the Roman structures that would have been here and I mean some of the blocks are enormous yeah and they'd have been dragged over by slaves oh, you know yeah. that 27 miles can you imagine Gosh, yes. Yes. So, um, we're standing in the um, south transept at the moment looking north towards the five sisters window and um, looking now at the um, recently completed Grand Organ. <laughs> we've come into the consistory court to, um, to get away from the, the sound of the Grand Organ, which um, I'm sure you agree is magnificent, yes. but, the, but the sound is incredible. Um, so the Grand Organ was a project that we started in 2018, and um, it, we 
do a similar project once in a century. So the, 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 the um, organ was completely dismantled, um, sent up to Durham where Harrison and Harrison um, restored um, a lot of the parts and replaced a lot of the parts. And a, a wonderful thing about this project is that a lot of the um, instrument um, that had, um, hadn't spoken since the 1960s were, were, were brought back into voice. So uh, the tower pipes that I was pointing at in the south transept, those are new tower pipes, but, but speak again. So the sound coming out down the nave um, and, and the range of the new instrument is incredible. Mm. So um, our director of music um, can talk at length about um, the capability of, of this new instrument, but it was a £2.2 million project lot of craftspeople involved in its restoration. Um, we had a, a, a specialist um, gilder and painter who, who painted the tower pipes and regilded them. Mm -hmm. Our stonemasons um, restored a medieval um, staircase inside and our joiners um, restored the, um, the Victorian case and um, next year we'll complete the, the oak panelling in the choir aisles. So it's been a multidisciplinary project um, which has been wonderful to, to see. Um, and then we walked past um, one of the, the choir aisle windows just now where you probably saw two of our conservators working on the windowsill where we've had some recent cracking and movement. And it goes back to the point I made earlier that the, the building is constantly moving and shifting. Um, and despite its great size, it's a very delicate building. So um, that movement does need to, to, to cracking and we have to be quite reactive and responsive when we see that. So we need to take the advice from the cathedral engineer to make sure there's nothing sinister going on and then carry out remedial repairs. So it's, it's a living building. Yes, and uh, in need of constant care. And as you say, it's a whole variety of skills and crafts that you need to bring together to deal with the whole of this building. It is, yeah, and we're really lucky in York that of the 42 Anglican cathedrals, York is one of only 10 that still has an active works department, and ours is the largest in the country. Mm -hmm. And um, as part of the implementation of the neighbourhood plan, um, I'm trying to establish the whole of the precinct as a centre of excellence for heritage, craft, skill and estate management so that we always have the broad range of skills to care for an estate and a building like this. So it's not just masons and glaziers, it's electricians, carpenters, um, plumbers, lead specialists, um, so and, and gardeners as well. We have a team of four gardeners to look after the seven hectares. So. Um, and not to keep going on about money, but when I say £22,000 a day, you can see why it costs so much money. So, Indeed. And rightly too, it's a national treasure. Yes, absolutely. So we're in the Zeus Chapel now, which is the uh, chapel just off the um, South Choir Isle. Um, and actually the construction of the Zeus Chapel was delayed um, during the Black Death because of um, lack of workforce at the time. So um, quite relevant in, in the current 
mm. times we're living through. But we're, we're looking up at the beautiful vaulted ceiling here. And this is an incredibly complicated structure, which we're just about getting our heads around. Because above here, you've got the, uh, the transept we were looking at on the outside a minute ago with the Cuthbert window in. And that huge load that is coming down the buttresses. But then the buttress doesn't continue. It stops. And so that enormous load has been transferred across these vaults and then down to the floor. But if you think about the size of the buttress we were looking at and the size of that vault, it, it's, it's incredible that that load is transferring through that space. So, um, but we, you can't quite see it here, but there are some hairline cracks appearing in the, um, in the ceiling, which are old, they're not new. Um, but obviously there is something happening there that we need to understand um, what the cause is and, and, and is this of any concern. But if we look down here at this rib, you can see excessive delamination of that, of that stone rib, mm -hmm. which has been caused by water ingress from right. the roof above. Um, and I mean, that's a little microcosm of some of the issues that we deal with on a daily basis around the cathedral. And you can see elsewhere where it's happened in the past, but, but water, and limestone do not mix well. And so you see this, this uh, extensive damage. Um, so what we've done is, that the, the reason the scaffolding is up in here is our, our conservators have been up and, and um, removed the loose stone to make sure it's safe. And then we'll do some repairs. And we've started using a new material, um, which, is, which is French, um, and it allows us to do very delicate repairs and from the ground, it, it, you, you can't notice unless you're really looking for it. So, um, yeah, so that's a project for January. Right, right. This is a, just, just for your interest, there's a well there. Oh, yes. Which goes down about um, eight metres and it still works. I see, I see. Yeah, so, so we're um, now back in the uh, stone yard where um, all of our stone arrives. So you're looking at all of the six-sided cut stone that arrives from Tadcaster. Um, this is our primary saw, which dates from the early 1960s. It's the largest saw of its kind in northern England. Um, and then our bridge saw is just down here, um, which allows us to, um, to cut and um, rough out some of the stone. So you'll see that the saw has taken away a lot of the stone ready for the hand finish. And that's a piece of the um, buttress stone. Do you remember the Ketten we were looking at, that corner piece? Yeah. That's the Magline yeah. replacement. Right. So um, we've got about a three-month supply of stone on site. But one of the biggest risks to our project is the stone supply. If we can't get it, then it's going to really delay things, obviously. So what we're looking at through the neighbourhood plan is converting this area of the precinct into our new technology hub. So buying new saws, which will do all of this roughing out for us um, in a fraction of the time, um, which then means we can get the process of, uh, of 
um, preparing the stone will, will speed up significantly. And then we're looking to build a new heritage quad just behind the deanery where our um, scaffolders, gardeners, masons will be based in this new state-of-the-art building and um, there'll be um, accommodation for seven apprentices. So our first and second year apprentices will be able to live on site um, at affordable prices because our first year apprentices, their salary is nine and a half thousand pounds. How on earth they survive in this city and pay the rents is beyond me. So, so that's one part of it. And then we hope to have uh, use our international partners, uh, invite their apprentices to come and learn from us, and for our apprentices to go over there. So Milan, Cologne, Washington, Trondheim are all official partners in our centre of excellence, right. and we want that to continue to grow, and we become the, the knowledge hub for the international cathedral world, um, and sharing best practice. And um, this has all been driven by York Minster Fund, who have been um, driving a research and development project looking at technology and benchmarking us against other institutions. So we, we're really investing in the very best technology as a tool to support the heritage craft skills. So, and our, you may have read in the press that we're, um, we're erecting a statue of um, Her Majesty the Queen on the west front of the cathedral next yes. year. So, uh, the CP. So the, the, um, the statue is going to be made of um, Lupine limestone. So the stone's actually coming from France because we can't get the bed heights needed um, in Tadcaster. Um, and then you'll see that the orb and the scepter are going to be made out of bronze. So um, we've done huge amounts of research into this. Um, so there's a statue of Queen Anne outside um, St Paul's in London and her orb and scepter are, are in bronze as well. So, um, But it's been a, a difficult year getting all of the permissions and consents. But, so that's the finished model that Richard will use as the scale um, for the for the stone. Um, so this is just a, a model then? This is just the model, yes. So, so it'll be used as the scale um, model for, and Richard will take all of his um, references from this. Um, right. But I mean the process started back, this was the original maquette um, yes. that we then, um, once we'd got initial approval for the concept, that we then scanned and then that scan was used to mill the polycarbonate core of this of the model. Right. And then Richard finished all that by hand and added pieces in, using clay so then the uh, chain of office that was all um, made by clay and then you've got the garter star and the diadem that was all made from clay but uh, so you can see that the, the heritage craft skills certainly are not lost no no they're quite the reverse but but we're using technology as a tool and when will the statue be completed um in, it'll be installed in the autumn what are you actually working on at the moment it's a finial above uh, the window S8, which is this one, so it's a little tiny finial up there. Right. Um, sits on the parapet, that's the not coping. Um, and what's the stone that this is made of? This is the... This is magnesium limestone. Magnesium, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm quarrying a tadcaster. Yes, yes. Um, what's it like to work with? It's nice. Yeah, you get good bits, it's really nice. One of the best British carving stones, I think. Yeah, nice lot of detail in it. Yeah. 
you've covered it with all sorts of uh, pencil marks and sketches. Yeah. Uh, how uh, is, it, is it going to have the, the level of depth and detail that we've got in, in this piece over yes. here? Right, is that your pattern? Yeah, uh, that's the cast of one of the um, previous crockets from the window below. Right, okay. So it has to be the same as it comes up. Yes, yes. To meet the finial. Um, so I'm using that as a guide. And how long will it take you to transform this stone into that pattern? Uh, it's probably another four to six weeks working that. In this piece here? Yeah. yeah. And then there'll be another one? Yep, and then there'll be another one. <laughs> but this, and this will be on the building for at least 300 years. As we walked back across the precinct, we met one of the trustees. That building's been there for a thousand years, he said. It's good for another thousand yet. My thanks to stonemason Dave Willits, Sharon Atkinson of the Minster Communications team, and of course my guide, Alex McCallion, Director of Works and Precinct. There are links to the detailed plans on the Sustainable Futures Report website, which is at www.sustainablefutures.report. That was the Wednesday interview from the Sustainable Futures Report. I'm Anthony Day. A Merry Christmas. And the next Sustainable Futures Report will be on Christmas Eve.